0: Today's program is brought to you by our neighbors, Fine and Raw Chocolate, producers of the most delicious bean-to-bar chocolates in Brooklyn. For more information, visit fineandraw.com.
1: Hi, this is Ethan Frisch. And I'm Jenny Dorsey. And we are the co-hosts of Why Food here on Heritage Radio Network.
2: We've both been huge fans of Heritage Radio since, I don't know, forever. And we are super excited to announce that Heritage Radio is celebrating its 10-year anniversary this year.
1: Think of 10 years of amazing shows, amazing guests, amazing interviews. You have access to all of those things for free, uh, which is pretty incredible. But uh, we are a nonprofit and, and we do depend on your support and ultimately your donations to be able to keep doing this.
2: So we are doing a big donation drive right now, and we would love to see your support. We also have some really great prizes, including including
1: spices from my spice company, Burlap & Barrel. I will curate a set of six spices for anyone who feels generous enough to donate in the $500 category. So um,
2: go today to heritageradionetwork.org donate to help support the overall radio network. Or you can support us specifically if you click on why food in the designation drop down menu. Thank you so much for listening to Heritage Radio. Thanks for listening. Welcome, welcome. This is Why Food Podcast, the podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, creative people who have left their former careers and joined the food, beverage and hospitality world. I'm your co-host, Jenny Dorsey.
1: I'm Ethan Frisch.
2: And today we are joined by Alvin Kailan, the incredible chef and restaurateur behind many concepts, including The Usual, Amboy, and Egg Slut. He's also the host of The Burger Show.
3: What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Thanks for for being here.
2: (laughs) Well, I'll kick it <coughs> off with, can you tell us about all your concepts? Well, let's leave Eggslut for last because I think prob- everyone probably already knows that. Okay. But tell us about your new work, your babies.
3: Um, so I'm a new resident in New York City.
2: Welcome.
3: Uh, I mean, I've been here for about two and a half years now, but I, I still feel like it's new. Um, so yeah, we opened up The Usual, <clears throat> which is an American comfort food restaurant cooked by children of immigrants. That's kind of like our, our explanation to our menu. Um, And then I think maybe September We'll be able to open Amboy Which is our Filipino Grill restaurant
1: Why was Why was the Children of Immigrants Concept important to you? Where did that idea come from?
3: Uh, You know I I, For some You know I don't know if it's like What has happened in my career Or whatever I think it's it's kind of been my goal to have people know where their food comes from and like who makes it and all that stuff. And it's not usually just like food that comes out of a window. And I think a lot of people think that food is either the chef by himself makes it, all 500 every <laughs> dishes that come out that night, the one chef made it. And it's not, it's not. And, 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 you know, I want people to know like the, these guys are like the up and coming rising stars of this this industry, and these are the people who make it. This is the, the face behind the plate, and so in LA, all my restaurants were open kitchens, just for that reason, so people could see who's making the food, and um, with the usual, <clears throat> which is in Nolita, we inherited the restaurant, and so the kitchen's downstairs it's a completely different like um, setup from what i'm used to so we definitely like put it out there where it's like okay this is american comfort food cooked by children of immigrants <clears throat> and like with my staff it's like okay where are you from we get we meet every week and we talk about the menu and it's like where are you from okay how like, like how did you eat fried chicken growing up or did you eat pasta growing up or like did you eat noodles growing up? and like what flavors to remind you of your home and how can we implement that in our dishes? So it turns into like a collective menu development situation. And ultimately the goal is <clears throat> the customer understands where our food comes from and my cooks take accountability for what they're making because they put they put their fingerprint on it. So that's kind of like the gist of the usual. I know it sounds like a lot, but that's that's kind of I, I call it twenty nineteen food. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's gotten a lot more. I have to explain it more. And so what more. what does it mean
1: that it's twenty nineteen food? Like what's what do you feel like is happening today in twenty nineteen in food that's represented in that? Well, restaurant? I think
3: like the the era of fusion. Um, kind of birthed what's going on right now. Sure. Which is like, <clears throat> you know, making cacho e pepe and then putting tobiko on top of it. You know what, <laughs> what I mean? Like, that's kind of what we do. You know, we, or like we do like a, a fried chicken, but we put tahine instead of like a spice rub. Like we make our own style of tahine and we put it on, on the chicken. And then like it's become like the, the crowd favorite. And like most recently, we've been doing the burger of the day. And the burger has been the vehicle or the vessel of of, of putting, like, different flavors uh, and different cultural, like, influences in the burger. And then the customer will be like, oh, I've never had Japanese curry before. This tastes amazing. And it's like, it's good, right? <laughs> like
2: and so now that you do have the upstairs downstairs kind of split um at the usual so how have you been able to kind of portray this message without the open kitchen letting guests know who is cooking their food and also kind of how has that reaction been
3: well it's been an evolving thing like first like our first line of defense will always be our servers and our, our hosts our servers our general managers the our front of the house team they'll always be like hey have you been here before if not this is what we're about. We're an American comfort food restaurant cooked by children of immigrants. All of our dishes are uh, influenced by different cultures that are built in our kitchen <clears throat> or that are from our kitchen. And so we'll we'll explain it like that. And then if the customer doesn't care, <laughs> like, um, you know, our runners will say, oh, th- this is what you ordered. This is what you got. This is where it's from. Okay, enjoy. Walk away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just kind of do our part and, you know, educating our customers on, you know, the different flavors in our
1: food. Your career uh, has transitioned in a lot of ways, different, I think, from most of our guests who have a pretty clear, they did something before cooking and now they cook, or they did something before starting a business and now they have their own food business, where you, you worked for a construction company for a year out of college, uh, but then you've also made several really interesting and pretty significant transitions within food, right? Going from a cart to a a restaurant uh, to a multi location, yeah. and yeah. then and then pivoting again, restaurants into uh, I guess like a fast casual style into more of a, a, a yeah we're a full, full service full restaurant. Service. Thank you. That's the word i was looking for. And then and then the burger show is a whole other thing. Can oh, you yeah. could you kind of give us the the high level overview of how how you walked that path and, okay. and how it all fits together for you now? I mean, my I've always
3: I think I've always I was built to be in the kitchen. Um, you know uh, my first job 15 and a half years old was a dishwasher at a retreat house in, in Alhambra California <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the kitchen like what was uh, we were so a re- like we it was it was a regular industrial kitchen everything was made to make or everything was built like to make 150 portions of something you know yeah like we had a huge tilt skillet like 16 burners like a (laughs) like a seven foot griddle you know like it was one of those type of restaurants and I started there at 15 and a half and i worked there till i graduated high school and I, i went from like dishwasher janitor prep cook to eventually working on the line there and so I've always loved food. <clears throat> and then I'm also a part of that era that I like, grew up watching Emerald Lagasse. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that thing. So I've always had that like, love for food and like that gourmet, when the word gourmet was something super important, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <clears throat> and then I had the reality of being an Asian American, where it was like, my parents really want me to go to college. Right. You know what I mean? So I was like, all right, I'm going to go to college. I went to college, did my thing, graduated, and got a regular job. And it was for a construction company, and I would be the guy who would bid on on the jobs and stuff like that. And it was cool, but at the same <laughs> time, <laughs> at the same time, this is when you know, the taxpayers were bailing out banks and, and all this stuff, and a majority of our job was re- renovating banks and you know at one point we were like putting a, a $60,000 Italian marble bathroom for an executive and I was like oh this is the reason why my college tuition is so high <laughs> I don't know if I should be doing this anymore and at the same time it's like I'll I'll be doing paperwork in my in my cubicle and the next thing you know I'm like looking up a recipe for you know barbecue <laughs> 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 or something like that and then on Friday when I got my check I would cash my check and I would buy like you know 10 pounds of pork shoulder and then I would go and like try to smoke it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so my passion was always like food and to, and then one day I was just like, I had it. I didn't tell a soul and I went to culinary school and then that's kind of like where my, my, my career started at that point. And then, you know, I worked up and down the coast and I did egg slut. Um, just, just that
2: casual thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I
3: did egg slut purely because breakfast was not a thing in Los Angeles. You know, like Los Angeles breakfast is, drive through starbucks get a muffin get a coffee sit in traffic for 30 minutes and then you're at your job so we we did excellent then um but yeah i think to answer your question i've always been that guy who's kind of recreated themselves like you know anthony bourdain had that tattoo of the ouroboros and um and the way he described it was like his life was always like he's recreating himself and whatever, you know, and I've been that kind of guy and I think I'm never satisfied. So I'm always trying to do new things and, um, just being able to perfect it. And I think like with eggs, I felt like I hit the level where we made a perfect egg egg centered breakfast menu and we hit one market and we perfected that market. And like, I left it. I was like, okay, this is done. you know, let's do something else. (laughs) Was that hard to walk away from? Yeah. Uh, At first, yeah, you know, like my first, I mean, this was my baby, right? Like, Mm -hmm. my exit truck um, was, we were in operations for two and a half years. And I would, I tell people, I would describe my day, which is, I would wake up at two in the morning and I would drive 45 minutes to Compton to pick up my truck And while I'm on my truck, you have to let it run for like an hour because it's a 1986 Chevy Step Van. (laughs) And it was terrible. And then I would drive two hours to West Hollywood. And then I would prep another two hours and open for breakfast. And then we would go downtown for lunch. And then we would drive to Santa Monica to do like happy hour bar food dinner. Hmm. And then we would stay till 2 a.m. And then I would sleep in my car. (laughs) and do it again the next day and this was like thursday friday saturday when it was like popping and i was like i put a lot of brain damage and a lot of blood sweat and tears into that brand and then you know when we opened our first brick and mortar it was just like overnight everyone was like it's oh it's an overnight success and i'm like no it's not yeah it's, it took three years to get here and then you know the lines never stopped so eventually uh, you know, I've always had this credo, which is, you know, humility, integrity, respect. And this is something that I was taught as a young cook. And I brought that into Egg Slut, And I really, really wished that it, that was like our credo there. But, you know, <clears throat> as you grow, you know, the bakers can no longer keep up to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, the bacon smokers can't keep up to you. So you have to start changing your your ingredients. And, you know, that I had a, such a difficult time with that. <clears throat> so... I, that's when I started to become a diva. And I was just like, hey, dude, you know, we need to change something. We need to change something. But yet the business people were like, we still have a two-hour two line. Right. We still have four and a half stars on Yelp. You're really, you're, you just need to chill. And so I was like, you know, maybe you're right. I need to chill. So I, I, I took a step back. Um, I, I gave a lot of my, like, my power... Um, to the business people. And I was like, you know what, if this is going to help me progress my life, then you guys can do whatever you want. And I'll just, if you need me culinarily, I'll let you know, but to take over the world, I don't know what to do. I don't know how, (laughs) I don't know how to advise you on opening a location in wherever. Um, but I will be able to tell you, this is how your, your kitchen should flow, blah, blah, blah. So that's what they keep me for. And I look at it now as more of an investment. And, um, you know, I'm investing in a company that's doing really well and that's helping me do other stuff like the usual. I did the Unit 120 um, in LA, which was like this really experimental um, incubator. And in one year, we had like the top four restaurants of that year that did incubator stuff at a restaurant so it was it was fun i was able like without eggside i wouldn't be able to do those things and then now we're at the usual and it's like me in the kitchen every day (laughs) you know it's like i'm back i'm composing food so it's 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 fun like i said it's like it's a constant recreation of myself like even even when i was a kid from dishwasher to construction to egg slut to egg slut brick and mortar to going to chinatown um and and helping chinatown develop their food scene and then coming to new york and then and now we're doing the the usual we're doing amboy and the burger show so it's like
2: can we talk a little about about Amboy as well, and sure. how it it was a pop up. It's going to open. Um, mm-hmm. It is a Filipino concept. Um, you are Filipino, like how right. how did you kind of like take this journey and kind of come back to this uh, sort of food?
3: So Amboy is my it's me right American boy. That's what it means. And like I've always loved Filipino food. I've always craved Filipino food. Like when you were living when I was living in Portland, you know, I, I was there for a while and like. I craved Filipino food every day. And then I started realizing like some of the stuff that like I could get at the Filipino store, I can't get there. So I started like kind of just pivoting my, 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 my ingredients and then turning it into something completely my own. And I think like Amboy is basically the culmination of like my, my career in one restaurant. So with also my culture heavily influenced in it so (laughs) it's been a project and we've been doing pop-ups all over the place you know we've done it at coachella we've done it at in in la we we've done it on essex street here in new york and it's been it's like people like it and so i was like let's do this restaurant i also have a book coming out a naboy cookbook with uh hufton mifflin and um it's basically (laughs) the story of my life in a dish
2: how did you know it was time to, like, you know, like, obviously there's more to your life that will soon be coming. How, right. like, how do you see the menu changing? And also, how did you know it was time to, like, solidify Amboy now?
3: <clears throat> well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I think it was like it, it landed on my lap because, you know, this whole incubator thing that we did in 2016 and being able to, like, Create Filipino food and the popularity of Filipino food that came after all of that, um, you know, it just landed on my lap. I, it just, you know, it's, I've already been cooking it for so long, you know, like, and then, you know, knowing that I've created a restaurant that has done really well in Egg Slut, and I've, I've done incubators basically <laughs> consulting uh, and, and, and helping other people make their dreams come true. And then coming to New York and then opening a restaurant, knowing that this is probably the hardest market in the country to, to open a restaurant. Um, it kind of just gave me that like confidence to say, you know what? If I'm going to make my food, I'm going to make it in this city because I live here. And not only that, but like the restaurant's two blocks from my house. And that's a, that's a dream.
2: Yeah, that <laughs> is the dream.
3: <laughs> that is the dream, right? <laughs> like opening a restaurant that's two blocks away from your house. Um, being able to just put your all into it, like, is is what you want, and um, I didn't get that opportunity anywhere else. So why not here?
1: Spend enough time in L.A. traffic, to,
3: yeah, to really value the five minute commute. <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. my entire life I used to drive from East L.A. to Manhattan Beach, and I would wake up two hours before just to get to work. And then when I did the food truck, I was in the I was in the food truck for like eight hours a day commuting, and it was just. It wasn't ideal. It really took a lot out of you, and now it's like, oh man, I gotta get to work. Just strolling down the street, and I'm there in five yeah.
1: minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it does. I mean, it does feel like, and acknowledging that this is a ridiculous thing to say, people in the Philippines have been eating Filipino food for a very long oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Filipino food is having this kind of trendy moment in the United States. Yeah, what do you think that? Is from and, and how do you see yourself fitting into that uh, broader scene?
2: How do you feel about the word trend? Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, is
1: I think
3: that like we're, we're Filipinos are speaking up.
1: Mm.
3: Um, my parents would never. We whenever we had parties and other cultures were invited, we did fried chicken, we did spaghetti, we did that stuff. We hit all the good Filipino food for us on Monday through Friday. <laughs> um, but us second or first first or second generation Amer- Americans or Filipino Americans. We're like, you know, I'm pretty proud of this. So I'm going to go ahead and be vocal about it. I'm going to talk about it. And I think that's where we're at now, where, like, a lot of these chefs that are making Filipino food that are Filipino are like, dude, this is really good food. You should try it. You know what I mean? And then it's, it kind of, like, caught fire. And then now there's, like, you know, like, there's other cultures making Filipino food. And that's, that's like, really awesome. You know, like, to see it's, like, we're, we're getting there. And I think we're almost getting to the past. We're getting uh, past the point of being a trend. I think now we're trying to—now it's, like, starting to get into regionality and all this stuff. So, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's good to be a part of. <laughs> you know, it's good to be a part of that whole, like, wave of Filipino popularity, and I'm, and I'm happy with it. Do you have uh, favorite Filipino restaurants in New York? Besides your own. <laughs> oh, man. You know, there's a place for everything, you know? Like, uh, we have— New York represents the Filipino food scene in all spectrums right or it's like fast food Jollibee um I love that right it's <laughs> like <laughs> they just opened one in Manhattan and I'm like oh my god it's like, it takes everything for not for me to not go there every day but, yeah, Jollibee is, like, my one of my favorite things on that spectrum of, of Filipino food. And then, like, you know, like, this is the tito rads in Queens where it's like, oh, dude, it's like my aunt. It's like my aunt's house, you know, or the lady's like, all right, you're up next. <laughs> you know, like, okay, cool. What do you want? You want, like, they they, they they look at you, and I'm like a big dude, and they're like, oh, you want the sisig, huh? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's like, no. But yeah, so I'll have this
2: season. <laughs> uh, I <didn't> say i it <laughs>
3: Yeah, um, and then there's like the spots in Jersey City That, that are fantastic Everything, You know, I go to Jersey City I try to go to Jer- Jersey City every Sunday To go to the Phil Stop there Which is like the big Filipino market So I mean like, those are like my Favorite places to go, those are like my Weekly frequent you know, and i I'm, I don't even think like the people at Teeter Rides knows who I am. They just, they just look at me like the dude who likes to eat Filipino food because when I go there, I throw it down, man. But yeah, those are those are the spots in, in New York, and then in LA, it's a different story. Like I grew up there, so like I, there's like, the like the the buffet well of Filipino food that's right. like probably been sitting there for like eight hours. I still love that. <laughs> it just <laughs>
1: means the chicken is more tender. It's yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> it's like, slow
3: cook. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I still love that stuff. So uh, those, those are the places I go to in L.A., you know.
2: How do you feel about, um, we were talking a little bit about this at lunch, uh, like now that there are so many different cultures being represented in New York and L.A. and there mm-hmm. are obviously people of other cultures cooking that culture's food. Yeah. Where, where is the line of, you know, do you, you want to go support them, but are there caveats to that?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I look, I like I said, I love making other stuff. Like, I like I've been like lately, I've been getting really into like Israeli food because you know Ori is a good friend of mine from Bavel and Bessie in L.A. And like I, I like Bavel like blew my mind. Yeah. So I'm like, how do I perfect making hummus? And like I do a roti at at um, at uh, at the usual. And it, like, takes a lot. It took a long time to make that puffy flatbread. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so when it comes to you, it's, like, nice and bulbous and, like, just steaming hot. Like, and I don't want anyone to judge me for that because of because I'm Filipino. Like, I shouldn't be making that. So the only, the only thing I do have a problem with when it comes to other cultures, making other cultures food, is when they tell you this is how you're supposed to eat it or this is the cleaner version of this food (laughs) that Mm -hmm. kills me because it's like, dude, you can't say that. Like you just crossed the line. (laughs) Like you're not the authority. No, no one, you know, no, I don't think anyone's the authority to be able to draw that line, you know? And when people start to do that, then that's when I have problems with, uh, that whole cultural appropriation subject. Do
1: you have Mm -hmm. thoughts on, on the word authenticity or authentic? (laughs) Oh yeah. That's a good question
2: that we ask a lot.
1: This
3: Filipino food and, and having really strict aunts and uncles that comes up a lot, right? Like, but authenticity is what you make it, you know, like, you know, my traditions are different from your traditions, or even if we were, we were all Filipino in this room, my traditions were probably different from yours and blah, blah, blah. So, the whole world the whole word authentic and all that stuff is it's vague
1: yeah
3: it's that clause in like a legal in a legal contract where you're just like nope you got to describe that more uh (laughs) authentic is not a a good word (laughs) you know like it's not uh it's not accurate so yeah that that there's no such thing (laughs)
2: yeah i saw a video um leah cohen had done a uh of her version of something
1: Leah Cohn who's the chef at at, at Pig and Cow cow, yeah
2: um and everyone's like this is not authentic because it was described by tasty as being authentic even though in the video she clearly says this is mine but they thought i guess they thought that would get more hits or who knows or just kind of to sell her in a certain way and it was too bad because then everybody got into a fight about it yeah no it's it's weird everyone
3: that particular restaurant as a group of like filipino friends that will talk about filipino places and filipino chefs that's, like, a, a, a common thing, the authenticity thing. Because she, she actually gives you chopsticks at a restaurant. And we're like, okay, she does Thai food and she does Filipino food, both those cultures don't use chopsticks. Why is there a chopstick there? But at the same time, it's like, who fucking cares? Oh, sorry.
2: Uh, no, you can go, go ahead. Okay. Internet
3: <laughs> radio, say so whatever you want. Yeah, like, like, who cares? Yeah, she can do what she wants. Yeah. As as... Dude, like, like I said, 2019 American food in America is everything. Like, you know what I mean? Like people are making cheeseburger dumplings and there's a line out the door. Yeah, a know. lot of people are turning in their graves for that. <laughs> but it it is what it is. Yeah. It we it's our fault as as food lovers because we want to push those limits. That's such an American thing to do, you know? Like we want to explore that. We're 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 cowboys in a sense, you know? So it's like, you know, it is what it is you know it is what it is (laughs) i mean i know a lot of people are probably giving me flack for this but at the same time it's like dude like i know people who make such weird food and i see like when i eat the food because i've read cookbooks and all this other stuff i know that this has been this this is like this is almost muslim this is you know what i mean like and one dish and it's and it's great so why why are we stopping that? <laughs> you
1: well, know what I mean. I, I think there, the other thing though is that we're we're sort of stuck, right? Like there's there's obviously there's a lot of Americas, yeah, um, and there are portions of the country who are where you are, right? Yeah, thinking about what food in America in 2019 looks like, embracing the multiculturalism, yeah. embracing the the pollination that happened across. But then there are also a lot of people who, for whom that's kind of uh, overwhelming or scary or intimidating, or yeah. who are not who are not there where you are.
3: Right. How well, do you, which is, there's yeah. a
1: place for that though.
3: Like there's people who just do heirloom food there. and that's fine because at that point you're educating people. But where we're at now as a majority, if I could speak for the majority of like culinary and people, uh, or, or even chefs, it's, it's, we're, there's no more boundaries. It's like, we're, we're going to put gochujang on things, you
1: know? <laughs> just on a <laughs> hot dog. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's cool. It's yeah. fine. You know, you know we're we're gonna try to make our version of gefilte fish or whatever. You know it is what it is, and that and that's kind of like what makes twenty nineteen food so awesome, or now food now awesome is that, like you know we're we're developing new recipes and techniques, and 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 I think that in in the food world, that constant regeneration and like that constant like recreation of stuff is what keeps it going you know we're always going to want to eat but we're also always going to want to explore it's just in our nature yeah
1: we're going to take a quick break we'll be (laughs) back in two minutes stay tuned
0: today's program is brought to you by our neighbor's fine and raw chocolate They make bean-to-bar chocolate and confections in HRN's backyard here in Brooklyn. Fine & Raw is committed to sustainably sourcing their cocoa beans directly from organic cocoa farmers. They use minimal processing and stone grinding to accentuate chocolate flavor and aroma. Their chocolate is sweetened exclusively with unrefined coconut sugar, which blends delicious caramel notes into the chocolate. Crafted for chocolate lovers, all of Fine & Raw's bars, truffles, and spreads are 100% plant-based from creamy bars blended with nut butter to salt sprinkled dark chocolate sweet truffle bars to toasty coconut dulce de leche fine and raw is obsessed with creating next level flavors their chocolate hazelnut butter made with the best Oregon hazelnuts is the best thing you could ever eat with a spoon It begs to be drizzled on ice cream, waffles, strawberries, you get the idea. Above all, Fine & Raw is a community of people dedicated to the idea that chocolate is magic. Visit fineandraw.com for your chocolate fix.
3: Are you enjoying this podcast?
4: Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. I'm
1: Patrick Martins. I'm Brandon Hoy.
4: And I'm Emily Pearson. Together we host The Main Course OG, where we cover food news and culture. Browse episodes of The Main Course OG wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org.
1: And we're back. We are joined this week by Alvin Kailan, who is a chef and a host of the the burger show and all kinds of cool stuff. We were just talking before the break about what it means to cook in 2019. Yes. And your new restaurant, the usual sort of an example of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you've also, you were telling us over lunch, I've had some... Pushback. Uh, tell us about tell us about the sign outside the restaurant and right and what and the whole story around that. So, like I was saying
3: earlier, our credo or like the theme of our restaurant is American comfort food cooked by children of immigrants, and it just dawned on us a, a few weeks ago to like write it on our chalkboard frame and put it outside. And I took a picture of it on the internet, and it the picture blew up and. It was weird because some people were like, yeah, right on. And then other people were like, do you, uh, you guys, you guys hire illegal immigrants. And I'm like, I didn't even put the word illegal on that chalkboard. What does the sign say? It says American comfort food cooked by children of immigrants. And the word immigrant for some reason turns into illegal. And so we started to get a wave of comments. We've actually gotten, um, reviewed on Google reviews saying, don't eat here, they hire illegal immigrants. What? (laughs) On our, on our, on our, just based off of what it says on a chalkboard. And, like, I'll sit, you know, yesterday we do fun things and, like, it might be not... The cool, like the, the legalist thing to do, but like <laughs> I I brought out a plancha outside and I started cooking burgers because it was so beautiful outside. And that's kind of like what that's kind of like my spirit of like how I do things is like, whatever, man, if they tell me to shut down, I'll, I'll just go back inside to back my up. restaurant. Yeah. But yeah, I was, you know, and standing outside, and I would, I would see people scoff at the at the a-frame and i'm like what's your problem like you know in my head i'm like what's your problem like well what's what, what is so wrong about what's it, the word immigrant mm-hmm. and you know people were just going crazy off of it like dming me saying yo dude like there's a process this word the process, process. was like brought up a hundred times and i'm like yeah what is the process the, mean? One, like? the, to become an American the mi- citizen.
2: Immigration process.
3: Yeah, there's an immigration process. I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying anything about that. My parents went through that. You know, like, I would, luckily I was born here, and I didn't have to go through that. A lot of my cooks are going through that, the naturalization process. Oh, yeah. It's a you miserable
2: know? process, and, I can attest.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then at the end of it, there's, like, this big, like, Star Spangled Banner event and all this stuff, and, like, I went to my mom's and my dad's, when, like, you know, f- 20 years ago when I was, like, a kid. And like, I'm like, I didn't say anything about that stuff. And a lot of, and I honestly, like for people out there who don't know, you can't give an employee a payroll check if they aren't legal to work in America. That is just a facts. No one is hiring illegal immigrants. No restaurant because of the margins of, of their profit margins can pay or afford to pay a dishwasher under the table. Because how are you gonna how are you gonna justify that through the IRS?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's impossible unless you're already cheating the government, then that's an even bigger that's an' a more serious issue. but I am not you know like you can't do that. It's almost impossible to do that unless you're already cheating the system in in the first place. so like you know and I didn't just sit there and and, and take it to the chin i I would comment back like. What if like they're like oh like what if, did they enter the country illegally and I'm like what if they did? I don't know. You know, but they're here and they are legal to work.
2: Yeah. And and now they're working on it because <laughs> yeah. maybe they had extenuating circumstances.
3: Exactly. And you know, and it's also hard for me to take that criticism from people who have never had to go through that process. Where do you think that comes from? Honestly, I think it's just the climate of where it is right now. You know, our president you know is very vocal about it you know it's almost become like an everyday topic on twitter so it's it's just something that like we're exposed to more than we've ever been ever as a society and like that's where it is you know a lot of people have (laughs) especially in the internet world a lot of people have like the 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 courage to talk crap and like it's like okay well why don't you just come over to the restaurant and see it for yourself
1: Yes. You know. So has that process or that feedback that you've gotten, has mm-hmm. that changed the way that you're approaching the food that you're making, oh, the way that you're talking about it's it? It's
3: affected my my entire staff. It's definitely like people like, you know, I hate using the term woke, but they're definitely they're they're awake as hell right now in, in, in my restaurant where, you know, they now understand like, look, that's why this this is why we do this. Mm-hmm. This is why we're making this food. It wasn't just words it, before. It was just words now that we posted it online and people reacted the way they reacted now it's like okay we're taking this seriously you know which is why now we now we're starting to do the burger of the day right and the burger of the day is our way of being able to put like different cultures into something so relatable which is a burger and like last night we did like the curry burger the japanese curry burger we've done like we've done a burger with like Espanol and papa's bravas we've done like uh, you know, we've made one with Maggie seasoning and chopped chilies. We've done, we've done all kinds of stuff to where like Maggie seasoning is something that's in every cupboard of like any Southeast Asian person's house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and in Germany. apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah, I think it was like a, a, like maybe Swedish invention because they didn't have soy sauce. So they created their own soy sauce and that's where Maggie came from. Really? Yeah. That's the story of Maggie. They didn't like, they didn't have soy sauce readily available. So the laboratory just made one. it's awesome thank you shout out to maggie but yeah that's 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 our now thing like and our cooks are like they're loving it because it's like okay this is how i'm gonna put my influence into Mm -hmm. this burger and and i'm so happy that that that's kind of what's developed from all of this because at the end of the day we're a restaurant and restaurants thrive off of good food so
2: I also want to call back to the point something you mentioned earlier on the show is that you know you had all open kitchens now because of the upstairs yeah. downstairs you have the sign like why was it so important for people to literally see literally see you, whether it's in through words or face to face who was cooking their food
3: well like I, I was saying before like you know like people need to understand like the people who touch your food are the people that you might hate <laughs> you know they're and it is what it is that's just the nature of the restaurant industry and it's like you know, the food no matter what you think it doesn't just come from a hole in the wall it, it comes from love and passion and work and hard you know blood sweat and tears <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so i you know i really want people to know that especially and and it wasn't it was never just like oh for like white people it was like dude my parents don't know that my yeah. grandparents don't know my my parents and I did not talk for four years because they thought that being a cook was beneath me. Mm-hmm. Same. You know? Like, that's this is the reason that drives me to do what I do. Because I've been told no my entire life on certain things because of who I am. Like, my parents were more prejudiced to me than other people because they're like, dude, you need to assimilate. You need to be more like them. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's like, Nah. I'm not (laughs) you know what I mean because I'm clearly different so that's that's I've always been that way like I said LA we did open kitchens New York we're now the corner of Elizabeth and Kenmare the voice of like the 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 immigrant cook
1: (laughs) you know what I mean and and especially given that immigrants and especially illegal immigrants have been the backbone of the restaurant industry in the United States as long as yes. there have been restaurants. And yes. some of
3: the most amazing food are made by people who are not from here. And also, like just on like the topic of your show, it's like a lot of us assimilated and did work before.
2: Right. And that's a frequent. Yeah. yeah.
3: A lot of us wanted to fit in. You know, we worked for the con Eds. We worked for those guys, Verizon, whatever. But we also love food. And that's why we went back and some of the most amazing food are come from people who had that epiphany. You know, had that, that like life changing moment where like, you know what, I'm gonna follow my dreams, I'm gonna make that, that, that food dream happen. And that that's that's just the nature, that's that's as American as apple pie. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Yeah. Shut- what,
1: what is it about the burger in particular mm-hmm. that, that attracted you and and uh oh. and is sort of a vehicle for communicating about different ingredients, different flavors that, that white people or Americans who haven't had a whole lot of exposure to, to other cuisines that, that gives it, it's an entry point for them.
3: It's, it's, it's really just my history with burgers. So I grew up, my best friend, um, uh, his parents owned a teriyaki bowl spot in, in, in our neighborhood. And my, one of my first favorite burgers before In-N-Out was a teriyaki cheeseburger, and that in itself was like, oh man, this is Japanese, and it's a burger. So I've I was conditioned at a really young age that burgers were an international thing, right? <laughs> then growing up in a Mexican neighborhood, and you know, like eating like burgers that were on the griddle on the same griddle of carne asada, and having that flavor mm-hmm. onto the burgers, and eating burgers with, with like guacamole or salsa, that was a thing. <laughs> so that it's always been there. A part of my life. And, and, you know, I've always been an aficionado for burgers. That's always been a passion of mine. And I think a lot of chefs are the same way where though we make like different composed dishes at the end of the day, like making a composed burger is always fun. And that's why it almost shows like your, your DNA on your menu. If you have a burger on the menu, it's kind of like, oh, I'm not that serious of a chef. Like I'm going to be able to put a burger on my menu. So that, I mean, that's really the evolution of like where we're at now with like doing the burger of the day, um, you know, plus the sign, (laughs) All, all of those forces really push us to, to make a really delicious burger at the end of the night. And it's only available after 10. Oh, uh, yeah. It's only available after 10, and we're open till midnight. So you have a two hour window to come in and have a nightcap and have a burger. Right. And also, because I'm like the host of the burger show, like my staff knows the burgers have to be amazing because people are like, I watch this show all the time. I'm going to go have a burger. And we're always like, yeah, come after 10. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, so yeah, my staff is, uh, yeah, my staff is very very hardcore about their burger their burger action right now
2: (laughs) and as you said you've been reinventing yourself over and over kind Mm of um you mentioned over lunch you were trying to escape always being the the slut with egg slut and now you're kind of the the burger person how did that happen um and how has how has the burger the burger show changed the you know public perception of what do you do
3: okay so like i said body by burger burger aficionado (laughs) I've always loved burgers Um, to the point I've liked. I was obsessed with Bob's Burgers, Uh the the cartoon. And I was invited to go to a table read at Bob's Burgers. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm in heaven right now. And I met (laughs) I met everyone. I met Lauren, Lauren Bouchard and I met Janelle Monterrey. Like they they are the producers of this thing. And I was like, what if I did a Bob's Burgers pop up? And so I did a Bob's Burgers pop up. Uh, and unit 120 and it was a success <coughs> moved to New York did a pop up in New York a Bob's Burgers pop up and 400 people would line up in the dead of winter for these burgers and it caught wind and at the same time First We Feast was developing a burger show and they Justin Bolas who, the direct- who directs the show we've done work together in the past and we've always been in in deep conversations about burgers and where the best burgers are. And, like, we mutually love the Apple Pad in Los Angeles. And so he reached out to me and was like, hey, what do you think about hosting this show? And I'm like, is it going to be one of those, like, burger shows where we go to each restaurant and, like, critique the burgers? Or is it going to be a little bit more, like, deeper than that? He's <laughs> like, it's going to be a 100% deeper. We're going to explore regionality. We're going to explore, like you know like the baller burger and like the the roadside burger and like you know like the dive burger but not in a specific location but why it's there and i was like i'm in so i i he asked me to be a part of the burger show and i was like let's do it and we're on our we just wrapped our fourth season which is out now on youtube so check it out
1: (laughs) and and do you have a favorite (laughs) burger in New York? Are you allowed to say the these country? things? <laughs> yeah. Oh,
3: well, <clears throat> man, you know what? In New York, my like my New York hug of a burger would be J.G. Mellon. Um, I love that burger. Uh, I, and I'm not a, I'm not too much of an advocate for thick patties, but that is a great burger, especially late at night, you know, and, and with a couple beers.
1: What do you love about it?
3: <sighs> Everything you know like and i go to the one in the upper east side the excitement of when you're walking up and you just see this gigantic green and red or neon red jg melon sign and then you walk in and you just see like the mahogany and the green like gingham like tablecloths and then like the watermelons on the wall and like the old lady taking your order like i love all of that like the last time i was there the our server was like i just learned how to take selfies you want to take a selfie with me and <laughs> i'm like dude this is why i love this place and then you see this this tiny griddle and like burgers on it and you walk by you see it and you know and you smell the burgers cooking and then you finally get it and it's just like beautiful bun super seared patty, the ooey, gooey cheese. It's just, it's super comforting. I think, can we just end the show now and go get a uh, Go get a burger. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm totally sold. (laughs) Yeah, it's super good.
2: What are your thoughts on what is the bun, you know?
3: Mm, It's all a matter like Peter Luger, they do this really thick eight ounce burger patty with dry aged beef that like they don't rest. It just starts to seep out all the burger juices. But they have, like, a really, like, almost crusty bun. And it's perfect for it because it sops up all of that good juice. Mm. Um, I You know, the bun is something that you have to think out. Like, it, 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 if you're constructing a burger, you have to p- make... You have to choose the right bun for it. it you can't just buy a seeded bun and think it's going to be great. It'll be a good burger, but it might not be, like, a transcending, oh, my God, burger. You know what I mean? So... <laughs> I think the bun is 50% of the way. Patty's 50. Bun's 50. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dude, when's the last time you've had a burger without cheese? It's been a uh, while.
2: It's been a while. <laughs> Try
3: it. It I it, it's, it's great. Because it's been... You know, I have... it For me, I, I, I always get cheeseburgers. And one day, I just decided to flip the script. I'm like, you know what I'm going to get without cheese? And I did this at a restaurant called Beeps in San Francisco. And... I was like, dude, why don't I eat this more often? Like, it doesn't really need the cheese.
2: Did you ha- did you have other condiments on it?
3: Like no, nothing. Just
2: just well, the no, pack- there was onion. Okay.
3: And there was onion and pickles. Um,
2: but no ketchup, no
3: mustard. No, they, well, they have that beep special sauce, okay. but the I didn't need the cheese, and the bun was perfect. And then they even had this big sign that says "locally made," like from the bakery. And there's like an arrow, and there's a bakery across the street. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so rad. That's awesome. But yeah, like I think Bert, it, it fit, the bun is fifty percent all the way. Uh, mm. I truly and also heated or not heated the bun. Mm. Yeah, so like the crappy, like almost Wonder Bread bun, don't heat those, don't toast them because they turn into cardboard. So they have like that fluffy, cakey texture for a reason. So don't put a burger, put a hot ass burger in there, and then let that residual heat from the burger cook the bun and it, it'll transcend into greatness but if you toast it it ruins the burger really yeah and then brioche you have you gotta to toast, toast that because if not it is a dry buttery mess yeah right like it just you just taste like you're eating almost like a stale donut yep yeah that's how it feels if you don't toast it <laughs> There's a whole science. I'm like hardcore yeah, about burgers. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> We should have just we're done the whole show on
2: burgers.
3: Oh yeah, dude. I'm telling you. That, I mean, I'm very hardcore. I feel like that was like, I was meant to to host that show. <laughs> um, well,
2: we're so gonna kick it off with our uh, fast pace um, last few minutes um, oh. of the show, and I yeah. would like to go first because I have a question. Okay. Now that we're on burgers, In-N-Out or Shake Shack? In and out, <gasps> but I, you live here now. I know,
3: but the th- and I love Shake Shack. Don't get me wrong, but In and Out is not a burger place for me. In and Out is where I got went to when I got good grades. In and Out was where I would go to after I got a shot at the doctor to comfort myself. You know, it's not a burger place for me. <laughs> it's 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 more than that. You know, but again, like I love Shake Shack. I Mark Rosati, those guys are really good friends of mine, and. And when I'm in, in New York and it's like 9.30 at night and I'm watching a baseball game, I'm going to hit him up on Postmates. <laughs> yeah. But in and out is, it's if you ask me five guys Shake Shack,
2: uh-huh. I'll
3: pick Shake Shack all day, right? <laughs> Or damn that, that! Actually, I can't even vouch for that either. <laughs> the, the
1: best burger is the, the most nostalgic burger. Sorry. Yeah, yeah.
3: It, you relate to it? I mean, we become we are burger connoisseurs from such a young age. You know, if you ask my niece, who's like six years old, she'll tell you no, no ketchup, no cheese, none of that. No? Just meat, bread. That's all She's she been wants. Well trained. Yeah, you trained her. And you're like, wow, okay. But then any other kid is the same way. They're just like, no, I want my burger a certain way. And then when you're in high school and, you know, you're with your friends, you order it a certain way. Like, I remember, like, finding out the hacks at Jack in the Box when I was in high school. I'm like, there
2: are hacks at Jack in the Box? Yeah. Like, I,
3: I would. I was like, you can get a double cheeseburger and get that with the sourdough bread? What? Yeah, and you can. <laughs> what? Dude, yeah, they used to have sour cream packets because they used to have a fajita on the menu and we would get a burger with sour cream.
2: <laughs> was it good?
3: No. But we did it cuz like they gave it to you they did it. there was no upcharge on the sour cream. They just gave you like this weird packet of sour cream and you would just almost dollop it on for each bite. <laughs> um, but yeah.
1: <laughs> if you
3: could master any skill overnight, what would it be? Oh, that's easy, man. I I'd, I'd want to be able to do croissants.
2: <laughs> what what kind of croissants would you do? Like just a plain the, croissant?
3: Yeah all any laminated dough because it is literally my achilles heel like i could I, I try all the time and it just never works out like i and it hurts you know what i mean it hurts the like why i can't nail this thing and i'm like a, i train myself to be super focused and like for some reason it just never comes out like maison kaiser or you know supermoon and when you just taste and you, you know what it is is that I'd, I'd do it by hand. And I think that if I had a sheater, shear, this would be a completely different conversation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can go to B Patisserie in San Francisco and
3: probably I used to to do, Yeah, I used here. to do morning buns. I did like 30 a day when I had a food truck. And some days they were life-changing. And some days they were like, yo, you didn't let this, like, proof long enough. And I'm <laughs> like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> So yeah, I think laminating dough, maybe even being a baker mm-hmm. would yeah. be something. It's funny, most
1: yeah. most people who we ask that question to, our guests on the podcast, don't even though most they all work in food. They food. I, I think you're the first one to have a food related <laughs> answer. It's oh. usually like play an instrument or speak a language or Yeah. <laughs>
3: Being a Formula One racer is probably a real close <laughs> second. All right. You know, but am I don't have the physique for that. So <laughs> that's not happening.
2: <laughs> if you could have any superpower, what would it be?
1: Oh man, teleporting.
2: Haha, Yes.
1: Yeah, but that's the.
2: I know. So,
1: well. this is the most common answer we get to that uh-huh. question. It's either flying or teleportation. Yeah. And what we've found generally, mm-hmm. Jenny, you want to.
2: Is that women will say teleporting, but yeah. men will say flying. Oh, really? And we've been theorizing why this is. Okay. And we're like, because is it because the men want to be seen to fly place to place and the women just want to get there? Or what is it? I
3: don't know, man. It's probably Top Gun. I don't know. Oh, like, yeah. could you be is Something about that. Or, I. I me being a Los Angelino, <clears throat> teleporting was always the dream because of traffic. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
3: You know, like we would—that was a con- it was a common conversation in my car. I was like, "Imagine we could teleport, man. We'd be there right now." <laughs> like, yeah. And and you know, in a superhero sense, like teleporting would be awesome, right? Like you could—I mean, I don't know—I don't, I don't want to like kill the Avengers, but like teleporting was a huge role in the Avengers Endgame. Game. So yeah, yeah. What's up?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, Alvin, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for Thanks joining for us. Thanks for having me, man. That's, where, that's can our, great. where can our listeners find you, uh, find your food? <clears throat>
2: Come eat and hang yeah, out.
3: Yeah, go to The Usual. It's at 30 Kenmare in Nolita. Um, Eggslut will probably be in a city near you. If not, we're in all over Los Angeles, Las Vegas, um, and all over everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Amboy's coming up. That's also going to be in Nolita on Mulberry. Um, you can find me at The Burger Show on YouTube and or at Alvin Kylon on all, f- all social media. Super easy at my full name, Golden.
2: <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm Jenny Dorsey and uh, you can always find me at, at Chef Jenny Dorsey and you can find us at at Why Food Podcast. If you have nominations, questions, thoughts, uh, please email us at whyfood at heritageradionetwork.org.
1: You can find me via my spice company, Burlap and Barrel, at Burlap and Barrel on social, ethan at burlapandbarrel.com. And thanks to Jeet Paul, our awesome sound engineer, and to the Red Crickets for our theme song, Blind. And thanks for listening. See you next week. See you next week. week? Bye, guys.
4: (laughs) Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork.